I know that, in fact, um, we have all felt the pressure, the problems, the situations that have occurred is part of the last days, is part of the last hour that we're living in. And I was talking to your pastor the last couple of days, and he was sharing with me about some of his sermons on recently on prayer. And I, too, have been on the other side of the globe preaching somewhat about prayer. And so I, I really want to sort of piggyback on what your pastor has been preaching, and I know, I'm sure, the Paulus and other ministers have been speaking about prayer. We talk about prayer, we pray, and it's powerful, but I'm going to talk tonight just for a few moments about strategic praying, if you, if you will understand that term, strategic praying. And I, I'm going to operate on the premise that, of course, we, you know, it's obvious that when you hear the word strategic, it implies somewhat of a warfare. It implies a military term. It is a strategic term, means it's sort of a military term. And I know that we wrestle our flesh, we engage our flesh in our battle, we have to set up boundaries, and we have to make sure that we, uh, you know, don't, uh, we're supposed to be, as Paul and other writers in the New Testament, mortify our flesh and die to our flesh and set up boundaries around our flesh and become accountable to God and the body of, of believers. And I understand that's a battle. I battle my flesh. And one, as Paul said, I have to die daily to my own flesh. And that's a battle. And yet there's another battle, the world. And we know that the pull of the world is another thing. You know, we talk about uh, the world is not my home. Jesus uh, had John write, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For he that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And yet uh, we are, are pulled by the world and the thinking of the world and the ideology of the world and what is going on in our world and, and the messages. But we also have the third enemy, not only our flesh, not only the world, but there is an enemy that we would call Satan or spiritual warfare or Lucifer or whatever, Beelzebub, whatever word you want to put to him. And when the Bible and Paul wrote, about the weapons of our warfare and putting on the whole armor of God in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And I'm not going to preach about that because uh, you've probably been taught that and understand that. 
I have often said that there was one offensive weapon, and that was the sword of the Spirit. He talks about the helmet and the breastplate and the shoes and and uh, all of the 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 armor that we are to have and he opens up the discussion by saying we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against spirits and principalities and powers and we've all if you've lived for God very long you've engaged in that kind of of it seems like you know the spirits and the the enemy will uh, bombard your mind and your thinking and your emotions and, and just overwhelm you, if you will. And yet, he said, we don't wrestle that. And I know at times we feel like we wrestle our flesh and at times we wrestle the world. But here he said, we don't wrestle this, we wrestle spiritual. And then he gets uh, to verse 17 of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 17. And he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have the Word, and I've often said that's our offensive weapon. But yet the 18th verse sort of gives us an idea that there could be another offensive weapon. And that 18th verse says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And watching with all supplication and perseverance and supplication. And so here we have some very powerful words in the Greek. It talks about uh, supplication and agony and warfare and grabbing hold and that sense of uh, in prayer. It's almost, I I guess, maybe you could call it our javelin or our pilum, if you will. The Roman soldiers always had a long spear. Not only did they have a sword, but when they would put their armors together and their shields together, they would have these spikes or long spears that were out there. And so prayer was just that. It's that sort of, that pylum, that no matter where I am, I can launch something in the spirit world toward the enemy. I am able to be uh, on the other side of the globe and, and get an email, pray for me, or or uh, we need your prayer here in uh, Western Australia or in Ohio. And immediately there can be a prayer launched from one side of the planet with all supplication and prayer onto the other side. And it engages that sense of of warfare that we have is is that ability to pray. And I know, and I was talking to your pastor, that, that, you know, sometimes we forget the most important hour of prayer. And for those of you who understand the English language, it's the first hour of prayer that I'm talking about. You remember the Lord taught it? And you might have thought I was meaning H-O-U-R, but that's not what I was talking about. I wasn't meaning H-O-U-R. I was meaning O-U-R. Our Father. Our. I'm part of a body. 
Give us this day our daily bread. There's something important about being part of the body. There's something important about being part of knowing that there are people on the other side of the planet that might be praying for me right now. And knowing that whatever they might be going through, I might be going through. And every once in a while when I look at my watch and I go, you know what, it's 9 p.m. where I am. But you know what, they're getting ready for church on the other side. It's Saturday night and I'm studying. But you know what, Brother Butcher's getting ready to preach. Brother the Paulus is getting ready to go before the church. I'm glad I'm part of an hour. I'm a part of the body. I'm part of a collective. And that's what makes sometimes these conferences so important to our spiritual well-being. And going to general conference or going to meetings is that we realize that it's more than just me. It's more than just our local problem and our situation and my life and my world and it's it kind of stretches us and pulls us out of that sense of you know that most important hour is not the h-o-u-r but it's the collective hour prayer and our worship but i i, I want to talk about strategic praying which i i understand you may not really understand this what I mean by strategic praying and and I to give you sort of a definition is that probably uh, strategic praying would be that uh, when something we would say militarily is strategic it is a way to render the enemy incapable of making war it's learning how to really bring the war to the enemy and stop what the enemy is doing. Now, there's tactical praying or there's tactical ways of being strategic and that means certain maneuvers or plans or a plan of action or a procedure. And then there is logistical issues that happen to an army. So you have logistical problems, which means the supplies and the medical and and armament and bringing up supplies. That's the logistical issues that go on within serving an army. You know, logistically, what do we need to do? What needs to happen logistically? And sort of, how do we get supplies? And I, I must confess that most of my praying falls into probably the logistic part of praying. You know, I'm praying for somebody to get healed and I'm praying for somebody to get delivered and I'm praying for some need and Lord, I need you to meet my financial need or I need you to help me or help me on the job or help me at school or help me pass this test or give me something logistical that is just sort of, you know, my supply, my daily, you know, and the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Is that part of the logistic praying that goes on and yet there is tactical praying that would be Lord you know exactly what do you want me to do in my life and uh, you know what do you want to have happen in my situation and uh, and you know what is your will for my life and that sort of is tactical praying and then there is 
uh, strategic praying, and, and the way I define it, and you don't only because they're warfare terms, and and it's not Bible, and you don't have to agree with it, and and if your pastor tells you there's no such thing, it's fine. You you don't you can believe him, not me. I, I'm just telling you that sort of a strategic prayer is how do we render that bring the attack to the enemy? And how do we render the enemy incapable of making war? And probably one of the... one there, You can read numerous examples of this in the Bible as you, if you put it in sort of that sense of supplication and uh, that. But, but a, a very familiar... Uh, not, well, uh, that's probably wrong. Not a familiar passage, but a... a, a portion that displays this what I'm trying to explain maybe easier than I can is found in the book of 2 Kings the third chapter and uh, you can turn there it's uh, <clears throat> there's some players that I will introduce you to just briefly and and uh, you I'm not going to read all of the chapter because you'll have to trust my word take my word for it and then read it for homework or something as you go home uh, tonight. But there was a guy by the name of Jehoram who was the son of Ahab. You remember Ahab was sort of a bad king. And uh, he was king of Israel. This is after the kingdom had split and there were ten tribes to the north and two tribes to the south. And Jehoram is uh, one of the principal players of Second Kings, the third chapter. He was the son of Ahab and he was reigning in Samaria. And the Bible said that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as bad as his dad Ahab and uh, he numbered Israel, and he kept worshiping the golden calf in Bethel and in Dan. And there was also, as you read in Second Kings, the third chapter, a man by the name of Misha, who was king of the Moabites. And now Misha had been giving Jehoram uh, tribute, if you will, or he had been paying money to Jehoram in the form of a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams and their wool. And so Misha, the king of the Moabites, had been sending in his taxes, if you will, of a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams, and he had been uh, and the wool and sending those to Jehoram. And um, all of a sudden, Misha decided, I'm not, don't want to pay that anymore. Uh, I don't think I will pay those taxes. And so he decides not to pay. And so Jehoram decides, I'm going to go and get my money. I, I want that, that, if you will, money. It was in the form of rams and lambs and, and wool. And he, he decides, I want to go there. And, and so he sets off to go and attack Misha. But as would be expected, you know... Uh, <clears throat> It's always better if you're going to go beat somebody up to take a friend. Kind of makes for more, you know, you kind of want to always have a buddy with you. So Jehoram says, I'm going to get the king of Judah, the southern two tribes, Jehoshaphat, and I'm going to get him 
to go with me. And so he goes to Jehoshaphat and he says, Hey, come with me. We're going to go beat up Misha. And so Jehoshaphat says, That's a great idea. But Jehoshaphat, being also a little bit smart, he realizes, You know what? Uh, I think that we ought to go get another buddy. And so they decide to go get the king of Edom to join them. And so if you look at a map and you see kind of where all of this was, uh, the king, uh, the kingdom of Israel or the northern ten tribes go uh, from north of Jerusalem on up uh, toward Galilee and on up high. And then the king of Judah is from Jerusalem and down sort of by the Dead Sea. And then the king of Edom would be even further south uh, he is down south, and the Moabites would be on the other side of the Dead Sea in, in uh, present-day Syria. And uh, so here they were. And so uh, Jehoram and Jehoshaphat and the king of Eden uh, decide that, you know what? It would be great if we, in a tactical way, we don't need to just go up and and attack Misha, let's go out into the desert and make a big loop around and attack Misha, the Moabite king, from the bottom, and he'll never know we're coming. It'll be sort of a surprise attack. When he walks out, he won't know what hit him, you know, and we'll beat him up and his army up. And that's how we're going to go about this. And you read Second Kings, the third chapter, and they sort of begin this plan, and they <clears throat> say, okay, in fact, verse 8, um, I think it is, um, he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way through the wilderness of Edom. So they went, and guess what happened? It was a desert. And there was no water. And things started going bad. And they started having problems. And if you look at verse 10, Jehoshaphat makes this statement. The king of Israel, which was Jehoram, rather. The king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. It had... God didn't call any of them. They made this plan. Jehoram figured this out. He was upset because Misha quit paying him. And so... He got himself into this. He went to Jehoshaphat. He went to the king of Eden. He went out and decided, let's move tactically around to the back. And then he started blaming God. God got me into this. I don't know if anybody's ever been guilty of doing that. Kind of, I'm doing my thing. And then I wonder, well, God, why? Anyway, I'm not 
criticizing. I'm just telling you that's what happened to these guys. People from Western Australia don't act that way. Right? People from America don't act that way. I mean, how many times I've had people that, you know, came to me and said, you know, Pastor, pray. I'm needing water. <laughs> I'm needing whatever. And, and I need a job. I need a this. And you go, have you been, where have you been the last six months? <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry, those are those rotten Americans. Anyway, let, let me just keep going here. And at verse 11, Jehoshaphat of the third chapter says, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that, me, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? It's the first prayer. Verse 1 through 10, there's no praying. Now they're in trouble, and now they're praying. How many times have I found myself not praying until my back's against the wall? You understand? All right. And so you read on, and they find Elisha, and... Elisha was was a rude pastor at that time. I'm not kind like your pastors out here in Western Australia. I mean, verse 13, they came and Elisha said, I don't have anything to do with you. That's not very nice, is it? Verse 13. And... Uh, Again, you know, Jehoram blames God. He says, The Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And basically, what they are saying is, We need water. And he said, You know, Elisha said, well, let me, let me keep reading. And Elisha said, As the Lord lives, I wouldn't even regard you if it weren't for Jehoshaphat. I wouldn't even look at you. I wouldn't even see you. And verse 15 is where he said, Now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. Verse 17. For thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, that you may drink both ye and your cattle and your beast. And then verse 18. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. And he is going to deliver the Moabites into your hand. And he keeps, and he goes on and tells them where they're going to fight them and how they're going to, I want you to 
take and throw down all their fences and chop down all their trees and knock down all their put stones in every field. He then tells him the tactical thing that they should do. But the strategic thing was, I'm going to give you total victory. You came asking for water, but I want you to know that's a light thing because I've got the victory for you. That's the biggie. You came asking logistically, how can we get water? Now, what was amazing about that whole story on water is that you have to go 550 years before this passage of Scripture was written into the book of Numbers about the 21st chapter when the Bible says the children of Israel were first coming out of the wilderness that they reached a point and he told them, he said, I want you to take your sticks and start pounding in this valley and start singing in this valley. And he said, sing these words. Spring up, oh well, spring up, oh well. They were in that same region when they came back to the prophet and they said we need water the prophet said I can get you water but I want you to know there's something better than water and that is I got total victory for you I've got the complete total victory you don't have to worry about just asking for a drink of water I want you to know our God has victory that strategic answer is I've got the victory for you So many times I find myself just asking God for something whenever I need to be praying, Lord, give me the victory. Lord, I want to know, I want to bind the strong man. The Bible says you can't spoil his goods unless you first bind the strong man. What are you talking about? Whenever you read it in the book of Acts, when the early church came out of the, of the, going into the upper room and, and they said, you know, here was a lame man and silver and gold have I none. And they said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And you read what happened. They threw Peter and John in jail after that they spent a night in the jail of the temple and when they brought them in they charged them not to tell anyone what's going on and when you read the fourth chapter of the book of Acts they came back and the Bible said after that first persecution they began to pray they gathered everybody together and they didn't say we need to get those bad guys we need to talk about those we need to let not let them know that we're not going to take no they just said Lord you are the God of all creation you're the God that's made heaven and earth you are able to do everything we're praying right now we want you to heal we want you to set free we want you to give us boldness we want you to give us the word and the Bible says that when they got through praying the place was shaken because they were praying strategically they were praying God God, shake us. God, use us. God, send revival. God, fill. God, heal. God, deliver. God, set free. They came to the collective. 
they came to the body. And it's fine. I, I'm not against. I've prayed so many logistic prayers. We come together and we pray. We have, we have a man in our church right now that's, you know, is back in the hospital and he's battling cancer and battling these things. And I, I pray. I get up in the morning and I pray for him. We go walking and I pray for him. I, I'm praying. Yeah, I, I'm praying for needs. I pray for my needs. I pray for our family's needs. I pray for our church needs. But you know what? I also, you know, 80, 90% of my prayer shouldn't be about logistics. 80 or 90% of my prayer needs to be strategic praying. Lord, shake us. Lord, give us revival. Our Father, I'm glad I'm part of the body. I'm glad I'm part of the church. I'm praying strategically. Lord, give us the tactical understanding of what we need to do next. How I can reach my city. How I can reach my neighborhood. How I can reach our community. Lord, what are we doing? I'm praying st- strategically. Then I gotta start praying uh, tactically. And last but not least, I gotta say, Lord, I want you to touch my body or touch or heal somebody else. If I'm not careful, the enemy will bombard me with so much stuff that I go in asking for a drink. I'm asking for a drink of water whenever I need to say, Lord, I want you to give me victory. I want you to give us victory in our home. What are you saying? The revelation, it talks about how did they overcome him? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Oh, what are you thinking? I, you know, we said it, used to say it years ago in the States, pleading the blood. What are you talking about? Lord, we need your blood to cover this. We need your blood to touch. We need your blood to move. What are you doing? I'm praying strategically. I don't want to get caught up into just every time. And the Bible tells them that they went from there and they won the victory. They came asking for water and the Lord not only had water, but he had total victory. What are you saying? In your lowest valley, it seems strange to think that in your valley you dig a ditch and go lower. When you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, why would you dig a ditch there? Huh? Why would you want to go lower there? Because somehow it's not about, it doesn't make sense maybe logistically. But what you don't know is, I serve a God. I don't know how I, whether to win. There's not going to be wind. I'm not going to be able to point my finger to how it comes. But I know through the blood of the Lamb, I know by the word of my testimony, I've seen folks come through worse than what I've come through. I'm serving a God that is able to bring us through. I'm serving a God that is able to open the doors. I'm serving a God that's able to bring revival. I'm serving a God that's already won the victory. Greater is He that is in me than he that's in the world. I'm going to start praying, Lord, strategically. I need you to move. I want you to move in, uh, I want you to move in Western Australia. I want you to send revival in 
Ohio. I want you to send revival around this world. There's no place I don't want to see filled with the saturation of the Spirit of God. Let's just raise our hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let's stand. Hallelujah. I want this church to have revival, but I want all of our churches to have revival. Oh, hallelujah. I am so thankful, brother and sister Paulus are here, and brother and sister Butcher, and any of our other pastors. I want you to know we've got to part, start praying strategically. Our Father, it's us, all of us, by the blood of the Lamb, sin revival, sin deliverance. You're able, God. You are able. You are able. You are able. You are able. I'm gonna plead the blood. I'm gonna to plead the blood by the word of my testimony. God, you are able. God, you are able. You died on Calvary. Greater is he that's in us. We're not just stuck here. Oh, you say, but you don't know what I'm facing. Why did let me tell you, get a hold of strategic praying. Start praying for the church. Start praying for revival. Start praying for the family of God. And all of a sudden, he'll supply your need when you pray for us. Hallelujah. Let's come. Hallelujah. Victory, victory shall be mine. Hallelujah. Let's